The Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Space Case Sarah Show, where my space nerds have their trusty emotional support bat <laughs> with him. And they're both wearing really nerdy space-themed shirts or science-themed shirts. You're wearing the Never Trust an Adam shirt. But he's got his emotional support bat, Benjamin. I don't know if we actually addressed that in a past, a past show, that that's, that's like your thing now. But you have a bat that you will clutch. Bat. Yes. Uh, There's a bat bat. next to my table here where I do our (laughs) recordings from, and it accidentally knocked it over during one recording, and I quickly caught it. And very slyly and quietly, I try to put it off to the side, but in doing so, it went right across the screen, and everyone saw it, and it instantly became my emotional support bat. (laughs) It it, it wasn't so, like, so sneaky that, yeah, I, I definitely noticed it, and it was in the middle of a kind of ranty rant that i was doing on something scientific so i was like oh crap i better wrap this up quickly benjamin's getting bored he's getting threatening (laughs) i'm gonna hit you in australia from california with a bat through the video call (laughs) science to do so and then uh i was saying you both are wearing very sciencey shirts uh kavi my other nerdy co-host here is wearing a shirt that it says caltech but the tech part is spelled out in equations don't ask me to explain that and then on the back it's reverse where the cal is spelled out in equations and then it spells out the word tech so that I mean, is a bit yeah. a bit above me when, when i got above it, my pay grade when i got it when i was i was at caltech for this um summer project when i was an undergrad and i was like looking at the store at cal like on, on the campus and it was either this which i think is awesome or it was a t-shirt that had like the school mascot, which I think was a beaver. And it's like, <laughs> huh, the, the nerd inside me wants the nerdy t-shirt and no part of me wants the beaver t-shirt. So yeah, I think that was a good choice. I approve. <laughs> yeah. I'm still kind of reeling back from, uh, we were having a conversation before we started recording about school. Uh, and I'm working on a paper for my master's degree and, then Kavi's like, oh, don't you use a paper managing app? And I'm like, you know, brain brain gears creak in millennial. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I am, I am still playing catch up to like Google Docs. Okay. So, <laughs> like, I, I have to quote, I have to quote my uh, professor of, of general relativity, Professor Grant Lewis. Who repeatedly <laughs> says that physicists are lazy? All we try to do is to find the simplest, easiest way to do something. And I also used to always, you know, download a bunch of papers or even print them out, and then I would just have this, like, you know, either a, a drawer at my desk or a folder in my computer where papers go to die, where I never mm-hmm. actually read them. And using a paper manager, I could just like store them in one place and reference them and search for them and blah blah blah. I wasn't trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying oh, to show no. you. Oh no, I'm, how, I'm just I'm having an existential crisis. It's fine. I'm I'm at the point now where it's like I'm already down. You can just keep kicking me. I am actually though I am tired, and this is what the the point of the uh, episode today is for exhaustion. Uh, because oh, exhaustion. no, I am I am very exhausted because yesterday I was at a uh, a 
like a career expo all day and 2000 students came through and that is a lot of yeah that's a lot that's a lot it was a long day and i halfway through was like oh no i know i have to record tomorrow i think i'm gonna be hoarse <laughs> luckily i i am okay but um we're on episode 14 i believe yep which is the silicon episode mm. so fun fact science what do you have for us about this silicon element that is not in a valley this is not Nevada. Well, I mean, the two most prevalent types of silicon do come from, uh, you know, that valley region or California. Um, both silicon uh, that's used for semiconductors and is basically responsible for like this incredible explosion of technology that we've had over the past uh, 100 years. Um, and that's because of these cool properties that silicon has as a semiconductor and the way that it can transfer electrical current. But there's also silicone, which is also used in California for completely different reasons. But Southern California. <laughs> Southern California, especially. But yeah, basically, uh, that's different. Uh, silicon and silicone. Um, the silicone that I was referring to, secondly, was uh, it's basically a mixture of uh, silicon atoms and oxygen atoms. Um, and there are a lot of different ways that you can make silicates, which are mixtures of silicone and other things. Um, Silicates in general form about 90% of the Earth's crust, but silicon by itself is, I think, second in abundance after only oxygen. Yes, it's 27% of, uh, in weight of the Earth's crust, the delicious silicone <laughs> crust. <laughs> like cheesy crust, yes. but silicony. <laughs> very, very cool. And you, you said... Oh, the amazing technology over the past hundred years. Well, apparently I am still not quite caught up to that hundred years of technology. Thank you again. Benjamin, what do you have for us today? Ah, uh, nothing. Oh, okay. cool. Cool. <laughs> no, uh, today's our Silicon episode and should be airing November 12th, hopefully. <laughs> and that would be the astronaut birthday of Richard H. Truly, who is the veteran of three shuttle flights, only two of which went to space. He was on board one of oh, their the ALT, one. the approach and landing tests, which is when the test shuttle fully built was brought on the back of a 747 way high at the atmosphere, mm -hmm. and then just let it go, and it had to glide down and land. So that's what they did a few of those tests. So he was the commander of one of those. And so cool. uh, it's so cool. And uh, <laughs> scientist birthday for Seth Barnes Nicholson, an American astronomer who discovered the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th satellites of Jupiter, discovered wow. the first of Jupiter's Trojan asteroids, and he computed the orbits of several comets and even the orbit of our good pal Pluto. Pluto. So he didn't just, what? someone else discovered it, but he uh, calculated the accurate orbit. Of Pluto. Do you happen to know when he found the eighth, ninth, and tenth satellites of Jupiter? That roughly was in the uh, gosh, no. I can look it up. I have it open. Like I'm think I'm thinking, you know, Galileo found the uh, first four of the Galilean right. moons, right? And and that and that would have been, you know, three hundred years ago, four hundred years ago. And I'm trying to figure out, like, because now we have about seventy moons of Jupiter. 
And I'm wondering, 1914. like, 1914. Wow. In 1914, okay. he discovered the ninth one, and in 1951, he discovered the twelfth. Wow. So some chunks of time there. But yeah. And we're still going. We're still discovering. And more we're still going. Day. We're yeah. still going. As our which resolution gets better, we're picking up every little speck <laughs> exactly. of dust. Oh, it's another moon. Oh, and for for listeners dust. who aren't aren't super familiar with it, not all of them are like nice little round, you know, means uh, <gasps> like what you're imagining. There's, Ravioli moon. Yeah, there's lots of different sizes, different shapes, different, uh, you know. Okay. Lots of variation in that because when we think moon, we always think like we always associate it with our moon. So there, it's not like those are they were out there and hiding in play, plain sight. You know what I mean? Like so these are hard to find because they are small and they're unusually shaped and stuff like that. So just just so that everybody knows what's up with that. Uh, speaking of Pluto, you brought it up, and I know that that's a you know a, a near and dear issue to Benjamin's heart <laughs> it's a planet pluto's a planet <laughs> it was it was a topic that came up several times at this career fair where i basically would just say no comment i'm not going to engage in the debate about pluto as a planet you can take that up with neil degrasse tyson but i did want to like quickly note uh, <laughs> they both just gave me the hand and they just <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know what kind of just looks. I was busy looking at They just, to see their little nerd brains just exploded. Oh, oh my God. Hurt. The way oh. you phrased that hurt so bad. <laughs> I don't want to engage. I want to discuss why it's not a planet. You can take that up with Neil deGrasse Tyson, but he himself didn't want to engage or discuss it either because he waited for the IAU to be mostly dismissed before he held the vote. <laughs> And he only held the vote with the people who sided with him. And that's what it became. I'm, you know, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I have so many words. I have so many there's, words. I do too. So there's, a, there's a parody on um, We Don't Talk About Bruno. This guy did. That's We Don't Talk About Pluto. I don't know if you've seen it. And my kids love it's it. Great. And there's a, there's a part of it where he's like... Uh, I don't know. They bring up Neil deGrasse Tyson and like, there's like a father figure, but then there's the same guy. He's dressed up like a little kid and he's like, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you stinky butt. That's what he says in the video. So my kids go around now going, you stinky butt. And I'm like, there's, there's a reason they're saying that they're not, they're not just saying it for, for no reason. And I'm the one who brings the podcast to toilet humor every episode. <laughs> okay. I do want to, Give a shout out if any of them are listening. Those kids, they took bunch, uh, a bunch of cards. <laughs> I only had uh, radio station cards to hand out. I usually have my own like Space Case Sarah cards, but um, I accidentally shipped a new package of them to the wrong address because I am indeed <laughs> a Space Case. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but they, I just wanted to like talk about that really quick because um, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I, kind of saw on the news because the news got there before I got there and they were like, yep, 2000 students are expected to come. And I was like, Oh, sweet mother. <laughs> I don't know if I am prepared for. I thought you had a that. telescope. I did. So I brought a telescope and I brought Sagan, my robot. And really like none of those are really like, they're basically just bait. They're bait to get people to get interested and talk to me, right? Right, because you're indoors, so the telescope well, wouldn't have right, been Right, the telescope useful. doesn't work. And the robot, I mean, everyone freaks out about the robot. So um, that was definitely the the hook 
But then they would be like, so what, what, what is this? What do you do? And it took me probably four waves of kids to come through for me to finally like get it down into sort of a succinct bite of like, what do you do? Because for me, it's like, I do a lot. (laughs) I do a gazillion things. Um, But what does it mean to be a science communicator? And so I, you know, essentially boil it down to like, I get to talk to really interesting people. I get to learn about really cool uh, missions in science. And I get to then break that down in a way for the general public to understand that is exciting and understandable. And that was kind of how I like boiled it down to like, what is a science communicator? And honestly, I had multiple kids be like, oh, I thought you were like, like, I don't know, like a science teacher or so. I didn't know what this meant. And like, it, it took a while for some of them to click with what it was. And then there were a good handful of them that they were like, this is like the coolest thing ever. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I like, I don't feel like this is work. This does not feel like work to me at all. And, you know, I talk about like my Mars analog mission I went on and how I'm going to go on the Joydies resolution for two months as a communications officer. And they're like, whoa. And I was like, I know it is really amazing. Um, like they just, they didn't understand what my role was. And then some of that then led me into like, yeah, there, there are so many unexpected jobs in the space industry that you wouldn't even think of. And like one of the, I had like a, a screen that was showing different clips of either things I did, or some of them were just like NASA missions. And I was like, you could be a graphic design artist and work at NASA designing these like clips that you're seeing on my screen. And they were like, Oh, I guess I never thought of that. And I was like, yeah, there, there are just so many jobs in the space industry that you just wouldn't think you wouldn't think of it. So Mm -hmm. in the spirit of that, we are calling this the science career fair, you know, episode along with Silicon where we're, uh, we're going to talk about all the different fun ways that you can work in the space industry and in surprising ways (laughs) that you wouldn't know, like, (laughs) like creating memes or (laughs) I don't know. You guys do realize this is radio. Nobody can see what you're doing. It's not I can see what he's doing. <laughs> well, I just okay, started we're gonna, it. We're going we're nope to take a break. <laughs> uh-huh. We're going to take a break. Uh-uh. So when we get back, we'll talk about these, uh, the jump. Yeah, you guys, are you guys the kids in this <laughs> career? you refer to us as grown-ups. I will never be a grown-up. It does not matter. Okay, well. Uh-huh. All right, kiddos. Lego. Make sure you got your your signed waivers for this field trip because we're about to go on a field trip in the next two epi- uh, uh, two uh, segments, segments on segments on jobs in the space industry. So you are listening. I didn't even do any of our plugs or normal stuff. We'll do that later. You we'll are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with my space nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, who are apparently capped at about twelve here on <laughs> IROC Space Radio. <laughs> welcome, back. welcome back to the space case sarah show with kavi and benjamin my space nerds here on iRock space radio kavi just won the race of who gets back into the green room he's very excited i think you're up to six was six. that right he's up to six there needs to be a recount the election is rigged it's not sir it's not an election i don't care it's rigged (laughs) uh before we uh jump into this um yeah we'll do our formalities really quick but i'm space case sarah everywhere on social media kavi is fun fact science with kavi and Benjamin is science, actually, actually science, depending on the platform that you go to. But we are all 
fairly active on social media. We love to engage with people and uh, also apparently attract troll and people who want to recruit for you people. That's a new one. I saw yeah. that Benjamin. Yeah. <laughs> He's really making it now. Yeah. I know people. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> you, can, you can follow all of us on social media as well as irockspaceradio.com. And I have a very exciting announcement. Actually, I'm going to make it formally for the first time on this station. But you are going to be able to listen to old episodes on our website. Is it live? Is it live? <laughs> It's it's well as soon as I say go, whichever one I choose to be the first one up there is going to be put up. By the time that this is airing, yes, it will be live. So you are obviously encouraged to listen to it in real time, but you will also now be able to catch previous episodes on our website. It's time traveling. <laughs> well, you know, if you think about it, we're broadcasting out into the universe, right? And that's totally not fair that other people have the opportunity to listen. Well, people, hold on, scratch that. Other potentially biological organisms have the chance to listen to it again. And we don't say what? <laughs> so anyway, no, that's very exciting. Thank you to the IROC team, Bruce, Chris, Chuck, who have made this possible. This is something that a lot of people have asked for. And we have given them their cake. Here oh. you go. It is. Yes. Eat the cake. Old episodes. And I don't think there's much on it yet, but we are also uh, starting a merchandise store on the website as well. So really, think, uh, yes, there is a there is a merch page on our on our station's website now. So there's going to be armies of people with t-shirts with my face. Check it out! <laughs> whoop, whoop. So uh, space career fair. See there 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 you go right now. And actually, I told this to kids last night um, or yesterday uh, that. The IROC Space Radio concept is basically um, Bruce is licensing the music that's being played above the Carmen line. So that is the uh, unofficial, you have made it to space point in elevation. And his idea is that eventually when there's a space hotel built, he has license to music to play on like said space hotel or things like that. So that's sort of the concept of this radio station. And when I would tell this to kids, they were like, what? And I was like, I know. <laughs> um, so it's kind of funny that there are like real jobs we can talk about, but then there's also these like theoretical, like future jobs, but like mm -hmm. there are plans. You can already make reservations to stay at the Voyager space hotel. You can put your name on the list. So think of all the, the jobs that are going to be like, they're earth-based now think about how they're going to work in space right i mean some of them some of them like what you were talking about uh with respect to licensing for music in space it just reminded me of this idea of a space lawyer and i like i know somebody who is you know uh finished her law degree a couple of years ago and has every intention of being a space lawyer and this is the mm -hmm. sort of thing that like you think oh well you know maybe in a few generations they'll be re no like Space law is currently a relevant profession for people to be, mm -hmm. you know, doing, let alone like learning. I mean, there have been treaties uh, between countries. Um, so like, you know, who owns the moon, who owns space and, and this sort of thing that people with an understanding both of, you know, legal things and also space things are needed for those sorts of jobs. So mm -hmm. kids, if you like space, but you feel like you'd be a good lawyer, that's for you. That's there. <laughs> Exactly. 
There, like basically any job you think of on Earth, there's gonna need to be an equivalent in space. Ooh, Martian <laughs> map. Benjamin is showing us a Martian map. Can you tell us what we're looking at specifically? Yes, yeah, speaking here? of space it's, law, it's, uh, it's like plated in glass. I wonder if this deed to my plot of land on oh. Mars will hold up in court. I have a long answer and a short answer. Which do you want to hear first? He's got so he's holding he's showing us a map of his deed of <laughs> he's got a deed of, of land on Mars. I love the font to that too. It's yes, like ye old like, English. Yes, like ye old English, like I yeah, think we need yeah. to have a Gregorian chant <laughs> going along with this. <laughs> Ye old Martian map <laughs> discovered in the late 1700s. Yeah. So, so, so to your question of whether or not um, that will hold up in court, the short answer is no. The long answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like the name a star thing too, right? Where it's like, sure, that, that's your star. You know, it... it why do people even want that you know why do you want why do you want to name a star after you i, I think like they're gim- people like gimmicks man i don't know they're just that's what people do they're just they like the gimmicky things what can we say you know in, i'm i'm like fortunate enough to have found all these really cool stars in um my honors research project that i'm working on now that my my thesis is due in a week ah um <laughs> You have the paper manager and I don't, so just whatever. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I was lucky enough to find all these really cool stars. And and I I mentioned that to my mum. And and the first thing that she says is, cool, so does that mean they name them after you? It's like, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) But also, I don't think I'd want that. So so it doesn't work like paleontology is what you're telling us. Well, even in paleontology, there isn't like, you know, a dinosaur named... John Smith or whatever the name of the guy. Yeah, who yeah, they found are. It. What? Yeah, yeah. So no. yeah, any yeah. So it, I mean, so it if was you, a, a Tyrannosaurus rexus, like that was his so, name. So if you discover a new species of dinosaur, you get to name the species. Which I think we're very lucky that a lot of that was discovered in a time where a lot of people had the sense to name them in similar manners, because otherwise we'd probably get like sharp toothy McSharpie. Um, but, uh, but you get to name the species and then that, that dinosaur gets named after you. So at the field museum, huh. you have Sue, who is the largest T-Rex ever discovered. And then in my hometown, we have Jane, who was named after one of our museum founders. And Jane is the most complete juvenile T-Rex ever discovered. But <laughs> this is so When you say completely juvenile, does that mean that she was just like a really immature yeah. To complete, yes. yes. I got the Seven Eleven. I like I've always wanted to when I worked there set up a Twitter account for her because Sue has the funniest Twitter account from the Field Museum. Like, uh, her her descriptor is like large, like large meaty bird or something like that. It's like really funny. <laughs> it's so funny. Again, so this is a job you can have, people. You could be a social media manager in a completely humorous way for a dinosaur not that that's really a space job but i'm just saying it's it is it kind of well yeah Uh, dinosaurs are related to space they had that one big interaction (laughs) with the meteor yeah (laughs) they did too soon (laughs) insert insert all the all the jokes (laughs) we got dart now we have dart it's fine 
we, we can make the jokes around. now. Like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> as a, yeah, but as a general as a general statement, like even outside of uh, space specifically, but for all sciences, um, you know, I love how our community is kind of shifting the focus away from oh, we have to teach kids about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. To we have to teach kids about STEAM, throwing that A mm -hmm. for art in there mm -hmm. because. It's a really important part of the sciences. And, you know, if we don't have a way of making the science accessible to a general audience, which is something that is done through the art, through, you know, making gifts and memes and communications, um, then the science just kind of stays amongst the scientists and, and, and it's not, it doesn't help society. You know, not everybody's a scientist. Yeah. It's yeah. so very, very that, important. My son is in uh, Boy Scouts and they're having a merit badge a steam merit badge weekend coming up in december oh, and you have to choose which which merit badges you want to learn and of course there's the science ones there's physics and astronomy and chemistry but there's also animation and graphic design and everything all lumped in it as well you can pick and choose which ones you want and uh, my daughter is taking astronomy and animation so i mean it's you can it's it's, it's really a big big thing I mean, it's sure really cool. There's the art is part of the science and technology. Exactly. Cool. So that that's definitely like a, a category of jobs that are out there. And there's mm -hmm. also so many jobs that are just, I mean, and they're not as flashy, but they're important. The, the sort of like the, the maintenance, the, the human management uh, that are at every single you know, Kennedy Space Center and, at, mm -hmm. you know, uh, SpaceX and stuff like that. Like there's there's always like job opportunities within those facilities and in those organizations that are just basic requirements to function as an organization. So mm -hmm. even if, say, you're you're you've always dreamt about becoming an engineer and you love SpaceX, maybe you don't have the qualifications for it yet but there are still ways you can get involved in those organizations and continue pursuing an education to then be able to leverage yourself to get better positions or whatever is more ideal to you in that organization. So, and that's actually something I always say to my kids all the time too, when they're like, I can't do it. I'm like, you can't do it yet. Like that growth mindset is so important because mm -hmm. it's not that you can't do it now. And it's not that maybe you can just apply for a type of job that you're like, that would be, you know, my dream job. I got asked by some kids like, how do you become an astronaut? And I was like, oh, that's like a really loaded question now because now it's not just NASA. Now there are other space traveling mm -hmm. organizations. I mean, I'm not going to go into the debate of like what qualifies as an astronaut or not. I do think that there should be some language that better defines what an astronaut that like trains to go to the ISS and what a suborbital astronaut flight person does. But I digress. My point was, you know, when you look at, think of inspiration four, no one with a prosthetic has ever flown before, but inspiration four had Haley who has uh, like a rod in her leg. She flew. And that was the first person to ever fly with a prosthetic. Um, that it's, it's, there's, there's so many new opportunities that are going to be opening up for who can become an astronaut and who can't. And so they, they were like, well, I meant NASA. And I was like, okay, well that's, it's really tough. <laughs> like that one, you know, I, I'm definitely like dream big, but there are, there are sometimes some parameters that, uh, you know, you cannot control like height limitations, like right. that there's, you know, you can't do anything about that. 
Um, NASA has has over time removed a few requirements, like no more military services required. Well, technically military service wasn't required, but it was kind of implied. But now it's Mm. outright, you don't need it. The height limit thing was also, you know, connected to that military service thing because pilots could only be a certain height. And because of that, they couldn't, they built everything for pilots who were of a certain height. And then in the space shuttle era, they got rid of that as well. So there. I did. Well, I, I do think there still is some sort of a cap because they can't build space suits. I mean, unless I guess if they're, you know, that you'll never, you're never going to do a spacewalk, but like spacesuits aren't. A, they're a changing the size. sizes. No, I think for, for spacesuits as well, there was a whole issue with, um, there was that all female spacewalk, right. That was right. meant to happen. Yeah. Um, and there was an issue there that they didn't have two correctly sized bases. It's like the, these are things that, as you said, uh, were related to, you know, what who used to be astronauts, like what very kind of homogeneous class of human beings right. <laughs> used to be astronauts. And now they're they're like <clears throat> not just phasing it out; they've realized, oh, we are no longer we we are now selecting more diverse people to be astronauts. So we need to upgrade our gear. We need to make our gear, you know not just be one size fits all, but actually have things, you know, well adjusted. I mean, for for, for example, with, um, I think we spoke a few episodes ago about uh, STEMRAD, uh, this kind of, um, I think it's an Israeli company who works with the US and Germany on radiation protective gear. And they do both gear Mm -hmm. for uh, nuclear reactor, um, people who work in, in nuclear facilities, but also astronauts. And their whole big thing is to design radiation protection suits that are designed differently for uh, men and women because there are different, yeah. you know, physiological structures that are more or less sensitive to different types of radiation. So it's yes, very much, yeah, very much no longer a one size fits all thing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stop us. We're going to take a break. You Just us even talking through these few things made me think of different career paths and things that are just so unconventional that you would never think could get you in the space industry that can. Um, that popped in my head as you were talking. So we'll take another quick break. And when we return, we will continue talking about all these jobs that you could <clears throat> you could do someday. And I also wanted to make a quick note. Uh, I'll save it for the next. I'll save it for the next segment because this is a little bit of my soapbox that I do also when I'm a psychomer as well. So <laughs> you are listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the Space Nerds, Kavi and Benjamin here on IROC Space Radio. <laughs> Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show with my Space Nerds, Kavi and Benjamin here on IROC Space Radio. I left off with a uh, like, oh, I want to say something that's kind of my soapbox. And then when we stopped recording, Kavi was like, oh, I want to add on to something that you said in the segment. And I was like, yep, that's exactly the soapbox I want to get on. So, <clears throat> so you know, like pull up soapbox. But I've actually had people say to me um, how they've always wished they could work in the space industry. And I've had people say this to me directly and they're like adults. And I'm like, oh, well, you, you always still can. And they're like, no, no, like now I have the house and the family and the blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, like it's too late, right? It's too late for me. And I used to very much be in that same mindset that it was like, I learned about astrobiology and I thought, wow, that's amazing. I, if, if I could go back in time, I would have studied more science and looked to pursue that as a career. 
if I had another life, like if there's more than one life to live. And so something that I kept reemphasizing to these kids, um, was that, you know, some, one of the questions they ask is like, how long did you have to study to do this? Or how long did it take you to do this? And I'm like, most of everything that I'm presenting to you here started after I became a parent. Um, and, and there were, especially there was one group of girls that I was like, I just really want to point that out because, you know, a lot of parents, women in particular, kind of lose themselves and they lose a sense of direction once they have kids and they kind of give up their careers once they have kids. And I see that happen, at least in my area of the world, a lot. It's a very, it's a very traditional thing that stay at home moms. I mean, our school systems are even set up like this. It's, I don't know how working families do it when school gets out at 2 PM. Like I do not know how you do not have a, uh, a non stay at home parent. So, um, I was like, you know, a lot of almost everything really, really kicked into full gear after I became a parent. And I didn't want to say like, after I got a divorce after I, you know, like, um, but it's the truth. And so I guess anyone that's listening and they're like, wow, these are cool jobs or wow. I wish I could have, you know, been in the space industry. It's not too late. It's not too late. And there's no linear path to this. There, there's so many different ways to get in the, your foot in the door. Um, what you see is the big flashy success and what you don't see. It's like that iceberg analogy is all the <laughs> failure that got us to where we are. And, uh, Kavi, you were going to comment kind of on that too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and like listening to what you were saying, it, it does maybe make me feel like it hasn't, you know, as much as I've had my struggles to get to where I am, it doesn't compare because, you know, I don't have kids. And so I can, can only imagine like how much more of a challenge that would have been for you. Um, it's not ben, Benjamin's <laughs> nodding. He's like, yes, having kids is a challenge. <laughs> but, a challenge. It's a blessing and a joy. <laughs> a blessing and a joy. I love it. Timmy, get in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but no, yeah, I, I, I think, I think a lot of the issue is that sometimes people will get stuck in this idea of, oh, I, you know, I wasn't good at math or I didn't take this in high school yep. and now it's too late and blah, blah, blah. And this is something I was thinking about uh, on a previous episode when we were chatting with Lee Giat, um, and when he was saying about like how he failed calculus, and it was actually one of the first things that Lee and I connected over was the, the fact that we both failed calculus. Um, and in in fact, I I think that for for me personally, like I stopped doing math in tenth grade because I was like certain I was going to be a lawyer, and then <laughs> it was only. Years later, you know, after I had had this like crazy, you know, series of life experiences that I realized, oh, wow, I love space. This is what drives me. This is, you know, I have a passion for it. And I just decided I will do whatever I need to do to get to get there, to get to, you know, working in astrophysics, working in astronomy, because it drives me. And it would, you know, now I'm at the point where I work my ass off, but I feel like I love it. You know, it's mm -hmm. not like it's easy but it's fulfilling. And I was only able to get there by basically starting from zero. Like I started my degree in physics and at the same time I was on Khan Academy starting from their third grade mathematics level and just building my way up because I didn't have that foundation. Yeah. And so, yeah, to anyone who's listening, who's thinking, yeah, I definitely want to do this, but I don't have the foundation. I don't have the math. I don't have the skill set. Like Sarah said, says to her kids, you don't have it yet. And and if it's something that you're really passionate about, 
just go for it. Like there's no shame. As you said, there's no, you know, there's no one path to getting to any of these roles. There are, there are so many different ways. And like, it's so easy to see this shiny success at the end without understanding the struggles that people have gone through along the way. There's no standard path. Uh, Everybody, you know, takes their time and does things in the way that makes sense for them, for their life situation, for their socioeconomic situation. But yeah, like believe in yourself. God, it sounds so cliche. But it, like it is, it's, but it's true. Just, just it, like yeah, just yeah. do it. Yeah, just do it. Well, you know, I think also one of the things, and, and Benjamin, feel free to chime in too if you if you so choose. But one of the things that I have always had no issue with, but it's been even more reinforced as I've gone through failure after failure after failure, <laughs> is that no one really cares. Like no one really cares Mm -hmm. that much. Everyone is so enveloped and wrapped in their own little micro universes. Um, yeah, make the mistakes. No one really cares. So I don't know. It's very liberating. Like, like no one really notices that much. I guess it's sad for some people, but it's not for me. I'm like, I'll just go do whatever I want now. (laughs) (laughs) Failures hurt for the people who are like super driven. And they dedicate so much time and energy towards achieving a goal and they don't get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They fail and it really stings and it, you know, it, it hurts your pride a bit. But I mean, uh, not to be corny, but if you listen to commencement speeches, just, you know, there's some funny ones out there, some intense ones out there, but they all have the exact same message to graduating classes, which is you're going to fail and you're going to fail a lot. And yeah. it's okay. It's part of the process. It just, mm-hmm. right. if you see something you want, keep going and you'll go get there. Go for it. Exactly. exactly. And that's exactly, yeah. The Go ahead, Kavi. I see you. I, I, yeah, I think, I don't, I feel like you don't necessarily learn much from success. Like yeah. there's this, there's this kind of like, I guess, toxic thing that people would say, you know, about having tough childhoods and it's like, oh, it builds character. But it, it, it kind of does like having, having these experiences in your life that force you to readjust and to be, and to be honest with you though, I think that's what it really is. It's about being able to be honest with yourself because if everything is going mm-hmm. smoothly in your life, you can have these ideas about who you are and where you're going and things just kind of work out. And it's like, okay, great. I guess I was right about everything. But the position that I've been in, in multiple at multiple stages in my life is okay, I have tried to do something and I have failed terribly. Like not, not like just barely, like really failed. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and when that happens, you get to a point where you have, um, you know, the people around you, in some cases, people who are very close to you saying like, maybe you should reconsider, like maybe this isn't for you. Mm-hmm. And then you start to doubt yourself and you have to be able to have those it sounds silly. You have to be able to have those open conversations with yourself and then learn from them and say, okay, yes, I messed up. I didn't do, you know, ABC in the way that I should have done. And that's how you learn. And that's how you get better. Like the entire space industry is built around that, you know, like people, people, especially conspiracy theorists love to say, oh, it's so convenient. You know, they launch people to, to, to space and, you know, nothing went wrong. It's like, did you see all of the initial all the explosions failure. and and failed missions and tragic deaths of early astronauts? Like, na- you think NASA's never failed? It's right. it's part of the learning process. So right, yeah, 
Goddard, I heard Goddard fail himself as an acronym. Is, uh, did that. He would try to launch a rocket and it would explode and fail. And he had a good time going to the wreckage and just seeing what was right, what was still intact, <laughs> what, was what was going broken. on. And then he yeah. built it again and built it again. Elon Musk does the same right. thing. Whenever there's a failure, of which luckily lately there are fewer and fewer, he enjoys going to the wreckage sites and saying, this is what it is. He brings his crew and keep going. I was going to say, I heard the acronym for fail standing as first attempt in learning. So, Mm -hmm. um, so if you want a job in the space industry and some of the ones that were popping in my head as Kavi was talking in the last segment, um, when you were talking about, like, we were talking about spacesuits, but it's not exactly like a thing. You just walk into a normal factory setting and be like, one spacesuit, please. (laughs) There are people, you know, who, um, there, there's a name for them too of like the women who, especially in the Apollo era, they sewed together the space. Oh, yeah. There's a name for them. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, but that's still true. You know, uh, basically suits are, you know, made by people who are very well trained in, um, you know, clothing and, and, uh, Again, my my mind is completely letting go of this name as well. Uh, not embroidery, huh? Seamstress. Seamstress, yeah. There's there something was, else there's I think too. But, but but you know what I'm saying? Like people who make clothes and they do a really good job with it can work in the space industry. Or oh, like think of like Tim, the patch guy, Tim, who designed my patch for uh, oh, Mount Everest. Tim's space a camp. legend. He, you know, he started in art and then was like, I want to make patches. And um, he, and he's made quite a career for himself out of that. So it's just, to me, it's really fascinating how many areas you could, you really, if you put your mind to it, you can find a place for yourself in the space industry, especially mm-hmm. with the way that the industry is growing. It's not too hard to be like, well, I'm really good at, yeah, accounting (laughs) trust me i'm sure there are tons of accounting jobs in the space industries so it's it's kind of one of those things that it's like not every it's it's like when people in in like the navy and they want to be navy jet pilot fighters not everyone's going to get to do that right but you still can do cool things it's not like Mm -hmm. there's that there are the brighter flashier kind of positions but Um, there's also a lot of responsibility and weight to a lot of those positions too. So I don't know about you guys. And I was actually saying this to the kids at the thing as well, that I do enjoy what I, what I do tremendously because I have so much freedom within my positions. You know, how often do you get to be like, yeah, I'm going to go on a research expedition for two months in the Atlantic. If I had like a very normal nine to five job, I wouldn't be able to do that. So, um, that there's a, there's a, flexibility but there's also a scary part to it so um it's all kind of what 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 you're looking to do i think i think especially in this day and age um this idea of a traditional nine to five and doing that however many days of the year and like it's starting to fade especially after covid you know like I, i think leading into covid people were talking about the idea of a side hustle where it's like you have your boring nine to five job and then you also have a passion project on the side but I think these days, especially people, um, yeah, <laughs> like Benjamin over here, Benjamin, uh, like <laughs> we, we create, like there, there is no script. There is no script that says you have to have a nine to five job yeah. um, that's, you know, defined in such and such a way. Like you can have, 
three different part-time jobs that all fill you with joy and passion and together that can be you know enough of an income to to, to support you like exactly. you can write your own story uh, there's no there's no one track there's so many jobs and it's just more of the the responsibility is on you the individual to have a growth mindset and a drive to figure out where you would fit in if this really is indeed your passion and i do think it's kind of one of those cliche things to um, cause some people I really think don't believe that like, Oh, if you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life. I do really think there's some truth in that. Um, yeah. it doesn't mean that there isn't hardship within the job, but it just means yeah. that it means that you're not feeling that sinking pit of despair in your stomach when you show up, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, ah, yes. The pit of despair. <laughs> no, it's so I, I true. Jobs like that though. <laughs> But like, yeah, like you, you will like, listen, like, you know, we have to work hard at things and, and things that you don't work hard at aren't necessarily as fulfilling or meaningful, but, but that's, that's where it's at. Like, if you have to spend your whole life working during the week, and then, you know, only enjoying the time off that you have on weekends and holidays and whatever, would you rather be doing would you rather be doing, you know, a job where, as you said, you come in and the moment you sit down at your desk or walk into the building, you're just depressed and, and counting the seconds until you can leave mm -hmm. or a job where it's like, Ugh, I'm working my ass off. But like, I found a star or I wrote a script for an episode of a, of a space show or like whatever it is. Right. <sighs> um, <laughs> We're oh reading God. a, a comment yeah. from Benjamin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but you know, like sometimes, sometimes like you can also just like find this, these side hustles that will end up fulfilling you. If you are in a job yeah. that isn't space related, that you don't have a passion for, you do the work and then you have a side hustle like what the three of us are doing that, you know, right. drives you totally. and just get enjoyment right. out of. There's nothing we wrong get, with We that. get enjoyment out of it and we're open to the possibilities and the opportunities that this could lead in other directions. And that's also a really important thing because I've had a lot of uh, fortunate opportunities now that seem to come to me as opposed to me having to doggedly chase after them because it's just success building on on itself. So it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a journey. I know. We're going to have to wrap this up. Um, as a reminder, you can find all of us on social media. I don't think I need to probably hash it out too many times here, but Space Case Sarah, Fun Fact Science, Science Actually, find any of us online or just uh, go find us on iRockSpaceRadio.com. And we thank you for your listenership. And we can't wait, cannot wait for the next episode to air for you to enjoy. So thank you again. And uh, I think I said this is a Space Case Sarah show. Here on iRock Space Radio. <laughs> You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the Space Nerds, Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockSpaceRadio.com for more.